And welcome, everybody, to Your Rights at Work. I'm Chris Garlick. Ed Smith has got the week off. Coming up next, I've got an audio postcard uh, from a civil disobedience action at the U.S. Senate uh, yesterday. And then our interview with feminist and social activist Selma James joins us from London to talk about the 50th anniversary of the Wages for Housework campaign. Go ahead and stay tuned as we go to our audio postcard for the civil disobedience at the U.S. Senate here on Your Rights at Work. Cafeteria workers at the U.S. Senate who voted to join Unite Here Local 23 last year rallied yesterday for a contract. They were joined by Senator Bernie Sanders and Congressman Andy Levin, who was among those arrested when they blocked a street in front of the Dirksen Senate office building. Here's an audio postcard from the action. If we don't get some justice, you don't get no peace. I say if we don't get some justice, you don't get no peace. I say if we don't get some respect, you don't get no peace. The only way the change will take place now is when working people stand up and fight for justice. And what a union is about and what struggle is about is what you have already accomplished. Because you stood together, and don't kid yourself and think there's any other reason, because you stood together and said, you know what? You're not going to lay off over 50 workers. They rescinded it. They're not laying off over 50 workers. You made that happen. So the good news is they rescinded that effort to lay off 50 plus workers, the bad news is you still don't have a contract. So our job now is to work together, and I know that I speak for many members of the Senate. We're gonna work together to make sure you get that contract and you get the benefits that you negotiated for. The only way that we ever get our fair shake from people who own this system is when we stand up and when we fight together. We're going to go in the street and we're going to get arrested. You workers, I am so amazed by you. You leaders of this union, you allies, whoever the heck's going out here. I'm just here to stand with you to say if you're willing to put your body on the line, I'm putting my body on the line because we're not going to give up until you have a just first contract. So you ready to go? You ready to win? Ready to demand justice? All right, let's go.
1972, writer, feminist, and social activist Selma James put forward wages for housework as a demand and a political perspective that redefined the working class. She coined the word unwaged, which incorporates all workers without wages, and the International Wages for Housework campaign she co-founded coordinates the global women's strike. She co-authored the classic The Power of Women and the Subversion of the Community and is the author of other path-breaking writing, including Our Time is Now, which was just published this month. I talked to her this morning from her office in the Kentish Town Crossroads Women's Center in London about the 50th anniversary of the Wages for Housework campaign. Selma James, welcome to Your Rights at Work. It is such an honor to meet you. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me to be on your program. So this year, 2022, is the 50th anniversary of the Wages for Housework campaign, which you founded in 1972. And I wondered if you'd tell our listeners, what was the, the basic idea behind the campaign? You know, the women's movement had begun two or three years, the women, the feminist movement that I'm talking about began two or three years before that. And some of us, I certainly was one looking for a way of understanding what our connection was with the capitalist world. You know, I knew about work in, in, the, in, in the community or work that you get wages for. I worked on the assembly lines in Los Angeles, making various television sets and um, radar sets for the Navy and various things like that, wiring and soldering. And, and then coming home as a mother and seeing after my son and helping to see after my husband and you know, getting up the next morning to do another day. So I knew all about that. Um, and a lot of feminists didn't seem to know a lot because they said that we should, when I, when I said, you know, we should get wages for housework, because then I felt we wouldn't have to go out to work if we didn't absolutely need to, especially soon after you have a child. You know, they would say things like, well, you should get a job to raise your consciousness. And I, I always wanted to kill them. Luckily, <laughs> I wasn't in the gun lobby, so I didn't have to carry it out. But did they know what they were telling me I should be doing? It's what I've been running from, you know, these, that assembly line, which goes on and on and on and only stops at the end of the day. And... Uh, so I knew the work of motherhood, and I figured that we had a right to money that was ours by right. My husband worked, made twice as much an hour as I did, uh, and sometimes three times as much because he had, quote, a skill. I had a lot of skill with children because I had to tell them, no, don't do this, don't do that. <laughs> baby up now. No, don't pick the baby up now. You know, I have a lot, nobody paid me for that skill, but they, they paid him for his. And it was lucky because that's what we lived on fundamentally. And I knew I was entitled to financial independence. So I figured that I should be paid for my work. Now, what I didn't know 
at that point was that there was a mass movement for wages for housework going on in front of my face. It was growing at that time when Sam, your friend, was, was just an infant. But it was a growing movement of single mothers, and they were demanding welfare and a welfare check, and it was welfare for the caring work that they were doing, and they were spelling it out, although I didn't know it then. <coughs> and, um, and the thing about it was probably the reason I didn't know was that the women who were carrying that struggle forward were almost always Black. Mm -hmm. and the Black women's movement, which this was, and the white women's movement, which feminism, so-called feminism was, were not together. They were racially divided. And they were also divided in the sector. That's very, very important because the working class women were the black women and the women aspiring to middle and upper middle class jobs that was almost exclusively white. So this movement for wages for housework, which I only began to, to think about in 1971 and 72 and finally come out with it in 72, that movement was actually being fought at that time, only I didn't know it, you know, because I was white. And although I had a mixed race milieu, I didn't know welfare mothers, and I later met them, and I was really thrilled by their cleverness, by their understanding, and by the fact that we agreed absolutely that women were entitled to a wage for the work that we were doing as carers, as mothers, as protectors, as going to the as the one going to the school and says, "Do not treat my child in this way just because he's black. How dare you? I'll get you fired." And, you know, the woman who was the troublemaker because she was protecting her family, and you know the enormous power that that woman did, was determined to exercise, and the understanding she had of the forces against her and also building an organization, the forces that would back her. So that was really the beginning of wages for housework. There was one other thing I'd like to say about it, something I was discussing with the woman who was visiting me at our women's center where I'm sitting. One of the things that I put forward when I put forward wages for housework is it was one of six demands and one of those demands was, we demand the right to have or not to have children. Mm -hmm. And I asked the woman I was speaking to today, how come that demand has not been even discussed among feminists? How come the right to have children, we want the right not to have children, not to have any children or not to have 10 or to have 10 children. But how come that demand for the right to have children is not part of what feminism is speaking about even today? And the right to have children is really 
the right to have an income to feed them. Because you don't have the right to have children if you haven't got enough money to feed that child when he or she emerges into the light. And that was really, I think, in a way, the demand to have or not to have children really, it really concretizes, it really makes real the demand for wages for housework. Because, it, it, you know, everything is there in a way, your right over your body. That right that you're talking about in this country, at least, and maybe other places, but in this country, it's this moral battle. It's this religious battle. But you're coming at it as an economic issue, as a rights issue. You created the, the term unwaged work, right? And this is something, and we talk a lot in this country about, you know, quote unquote, women's work, which often is unwaged work. So I wonder if you could just talk about that a bit, because the obviously is a huge debate since the overturning of Roe versus Wade in this country. But you know, we're, we're struggling to, to get folks to talk about that as an economic issue as opposed to a moral issue. Well, I have to tell you a, a little story of a friend of mine. <clears throat> when I lived in Spain, my husband was writing a book and we wanted to live cheaply while he wrote it and we went to the south of Spain and, and lived there for a few months till he almost finished the book and then he was interrupted, etc. But my neighbor spoke a bit of English and I had high school Spanish <laughs> and I picked up the rest that Olga could teach me and she and I became good friends. Um, as good as you can when your language is limited, but you can, you know, there are so many ways that women understand each other. You don't have to find words for everything. And she told me that under Franco, and it was under Franco, it was 1958, under Franco, the church would come to tell her not to use contraception. Right. And she told me how she handled it. And she says the sisters would come and, you know, they have a cross hanging from their waist and I always pick up the cross and kiss it at the beginning. She says, and then they tell me that I mustn't use any contraception, any condoms. And I always say, sister, when the church buys my children's shoes, I will not use contraception and they leave. And I thought, all these fights that these people have about what to say under, under um, a Nazi regime and all the rest, she had the perfect response. They had nothing to say to her. The nuns would go away. And it is such an economic issue that they could not deny it. And it, of course, it's an economic issue, and it's an economic issue in other senses, too. It's an economic issue because when women have fewer rights, employers think they have more rights. They're less likely to give you a better job and less likely to give you the rate for the job because you are a person who is in danger of breaking the law by having a child. Uh, by not having the child which is conceived within you. 
and it, it in every way determines how you're viewed and how you are treated. And I really, and, that, and the, the, the women we see in our, on our screen, when they report about the discussion on, on birth control, on, on um, abortion, is that these women tell us that if we don't want a child, we can, if we can have it adopted. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I, I, I'm not a, a paid member of the gun lobby. I've never had even a gun in my hand. But you know, if I did when they said that, I would not consider myself responsible for what I would do. How dare you say that what you have nurtured in your own body can be just given away like a Christmas card is so, uh, what can I say? It's so inhuman, so anti-life, so disrespectful of human life, of every life, that uh, these people, they don't deserve to be anywhere near decision-making for millions of people as these um, members of the Supreme Court have taken themselves to doing. And and I think that this goes back to to the idea of this unwaged work, because I think what you're saying, I think certainly what people feel is that it is incredibly disrespectful, this idea that like you were talking about, you know, your husband gets paid, you know, two, three, four times what you are says, well, you know, this skill set is worth this, but you're not. Can you talk about that and, and the battle? And I think this goes into the equal pay for equal work fight as well. Yes. Yes, and it is very closely connected, and it's really interesting and, in a way, sad to me that feminism has so concentrated on moving women up, and so few women are going up, rather than moving all of us up, which is the rate for the job, and that's for both jobs, for each job. And it, it seems to me, you know, I remember working in a factory in England uh, and I was there the day that pay equity came to this place. It was a tobacco warehouse and we packed um, the orders for various shops and that. And it was really heavy work. And I was almost 40 at the time. And I was already finding it hard to keep up. And I was so shocked, you know, at how young I had to be to keep up, you know, 15 or 20 years before that. And that was gone. So my income ability was, uh, was much less. And the women said, tomorrow, the wage, the first wage packet we get will have pay equity. And one woman, I remember she was a West Indian woman and she had a good voice and she said, from tomorrow, we both pay the mortgage and it's no different between what he says and what I say. We're completely equal once I'm paying as much of the mortgage as he is. And, you know, people around me smiled, you know, the women smiled 
Nobody responded. It was a statement that stood, you know, like was given out into the air and dominated the room, but nobody responded because everybody knew that some great truth <laughs> had been, you know, echoed at that moment in time. I think, you know, the relationships between women and men are very difficult, very difficult. And I often wonder what a tragedy that is, that there is a power relation between women and men, and both of us need each other, and all of us need each other, but that this question of money divides us and it's, it's no good. We don't want it. We want either all of us have the same amount or none of us need it. That's, you know, it, it's got to be absolute. We've got to be, women and men have got to be on the same plane. Not equality, that doesn't really get it, but equity so that we each of us get what we need and are not stuck in some hole or, you know, some backwater or some category or some racial slur or, you know, all the ways in which we are divided and are insulted and in fact, of course, insult others. Um, and I think wages for housework is not everything, no, but it's a really good start to begin to say value every individual's contribution, women or men, whatever race they are, whatever continent they live on, they, we all need the right to survive because of what we contribute to human society. And I hope also to saving the planet because we better do it soon or it wouldn't matter whether we had wages or not, we'd all be dead. So <laughs> we better move quick on that. One, one other question, Selma, and, and so it go, flows out of, of what you were just talking about, which is, you know, there's the rise of authoritarian regimes around the world uh, and, and within countries. And it, it does seem to really thrive on the kind of differences that you're talking about, right? Men and women, black and white, different classes, and... I'm just wondering, looking at it specifically, you know, at the Wages for Housework campaign and, and the related struggles. And, you know, you just, I think you have a really good perspective, having been through a lot of these battles, having, you know, worked at these kind of jobs yourself. And I will just tell you, and Sam and I have talked about this, um, there's a lot of frustration. People feel like we're moving backwards. Um, and so I'm just, I wanted to get some of your perspective as, as to where, where, what do you think the status of the struggle is at this point? I think, I think we're in a crisis. And if, and if I'm not mistaken, I think the seeds of getting out of the, that crisis are beginning to sprout. I saw that the Sri Lankan people have absolutely thrown out their government, which they hated and which was entirely corrupt. And they were swimming in the, in the, the swimming <laughs> pool of the prime minister. And I thought, what a good time they had. How lovely it is for poor people finally 
to have what is theirs. And then they put this guy in who knows how long he's going to last there. And we don't know what's going to happen. But that kind of struggle is going on in a number of societies. <clears throat> and I feel that there is a new spirit around. It's not a spirit that is sure to win, but it's a spirit that says we're going for it because we have no choice, because our very survival depends on getting these people out who are ready to have Armageddon in the, in the climate. And there are so many women who are active in the movement and who are guiding the movement and they have a lot of frustrations and angers, but they also have a lot of spirit, a lot of training in leadership. Because one thing you are, if you're a housewife, is a leader. You lead that family. You may not have the financial ability to lead it, but you have the social understanding and the skills to lead it. And these women are in the movement and they are leading the movement. They may not even be in front, but they can lead from behind. And we have always been able to do that. So I think it's up for grabs now. I know what, I'm, what side I'm on. I know what side you're on. And I know what side many millions are on. And we just have to get it all together. And now's the time. It's our time is now, or our time will not be forever. Well, Selma James, it has been such an honor and a pleasure and, and inspirational. Uh, you, you've really made my day. Thank you so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. That's it for this week's Your Rights at Work. Thanks to Mike Nacella, our engineer today. The music at the top of this segment was Ode to Wages Against Housework by Sarah McEwen. I'm Chris Garlock. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week. This is a public service announcement with guitar.